The Parlay is a debate event that champions open-mindedness, kindness and respectful dialogue when exploring contradictory ideas. Museum of Sticks and Stones would like to acknowledge and extend our deep respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live. This episode is recorded in Mianjin, the land of the Turbul and Yogara people. We acknowledge their connection to land, sea and community and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you all for being here tonight. Um, hello, I'm William Smith-Stubbs. Uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Spur Org, the organization behind Sticks and Stones. And I have the absolute honor of being your moderator and host this evening. And after months of planning, I get to say to you all, welcome to the Parlay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That's very good practice. You're doing a lot of that this evening. Uh, the speakers are very jazzed. They're very excited. Uh, and they're incredible. So it's going to be a fun, fun night. Um, for those that don't know us, uh, Spur Org is a charity. It's been around for over, well, coming on 12 years now. We started here in Brisbane, and we exist to create innovative solutions for mental health, to help anybody, no matter who they are, where they come from, or what they need, to be able to access support for what they need to feel better and to access those services. Recently, we undertook a really exciting journey with a project called Sticks and Stones. We were approached by Google, of all places, and they said, hey, if we had some money to help you look into online hate and harmful speech, what would you do? And we said, well, that sounds really depressing, but um, we'll give it a go. Sticks and Stones has kick-started a really wonderful, exciting research project for us. Over the past year, we've been delving into that space of online hate and harmful speech, trying to understand what it means for people online experiencing this harm, and that we all create hate to various degrees. That research has yielded some pretty insightful insights, such as the fact that we're all trolls. Everybody creates hate, or everybody receives hate online. And there aren't a lot of great ways to actually help that. One of the things that came out of that research was the use of debate, um, a technique that's been used for centuries all the way back to ancient Rome and ancient India to understand the perspectives and viewpoints of those we might otherwise hate and completely disagree with. And for us, undertaking this research has been really exciting time. Um, personally, I believe there isn't a better time to look into the problems of online hate and polarization. Like many of you, I grew up with the internet. I've been an online citizen most of my life. And in fact, when I was a kid, um, very socially isolated, when depression and anxiety came knocking at my door, where did I go? I went online. I found solace in the internet, in video games, and I went looking for somewhere that I felt safe, that I felt like I belonged. And I found that. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that the internet is such a wonderful thing. It has proven to be such a great innovation for human beings. It connects us, it empowers us, it educates us. It provides connection to people we'd otherwise would never meet ever before. But it's very easy to forget that there are human beings on the other side of those computer screens. And it's really easy to forget that the online harm that we experience can actually create real harm in person. We lose billions of dollars every year to the economy due to online harm. Everybody's experiencing this, and it doesn't seem to be a great way of figuring out what to do about it. The debate series tonight is one method that we're looking at to understand how do we actually empathize with each other again? How do we understand different perspectives? And if we can understand this in person, how might we translate this to online? 
So this evening is an experiment. Uh, you're all very much guinea pigs. This is our first parlay event, and we thank you so much for your belief and your trust in coming along this evening. Um, it's a little bit different to a traditional debate too, I should mention. This evening, the task for the work culture and internet parlay is not to convince you of a particular viewpoint, but to simply understand somebody's viewpoint that is not your own. And even if you might disagree with them vehemently, can you at least empathize that that's how they feel and that is okay? Not an easy task. Are we ready to parlay? Yes? Oh, come on. There we go. Okay, cool. That's much better. A few housekeeping things. I do have to thank some incredible sponsors. Um, this event really is only possible uh, for a non-profit like ourselves because of organizations like BDO, longtime friends of Spur.org. Thank you so much for your support. TAFE Queensland as well. Thank you again for all your help. Uh, Toucan, which actually is one of our investment companies to create social goods. So thank you, us, for helping out. And, of course, Queensland Ballet and the Thomas Dixon Centre. From day one, we said... We get that this is a, is a ballet space. We want to do a debate. They were all in. They've been so supportive. Thank you so much, everybody, for all your help. That's out of the way. We have some amazing debaters. Would you like to meet them? Yes? I thought as much. Excellent. Debaters, are you ready? You're ready. Fantastic. <laughs> My absolute pleasure to invite the debaters to the stage, starting with on the con team, Ashwin Segar. Ashwin is a radio presenter and comedian based in Brisbane. Born in India, he was raised in England, Australia, New Zealand, and Malaysia, and his work often shines a window into the migrant experience. Welcome, Ashwin. Next up on the con team is Damon Klotz, Chief Evangelist at People and Culture Software Unicorn Culture Amp, host of the Culture First podcast, top 10 most engaged Australian marketers on LinkedIn, Deloitte Social Innovation Award winner. Oh, God. And... I have a less of a bio, Damon. Uh, Award-winning social entrepreneur, guest lecturer and mentor at Queensland University of Technology. Welcome, Damon. Rounding out the Melbourne barista look on the con team is Michelle Mashuro, a talented poet, creative writer and founder of Radical Premieres. Her goal is to become... Welcome, Michelle a clinical psychologist specialising in helping marginalised communities and healing from trauma with her own clinical practice. On the pro team, welcome Alison Joyce, artivist, author and endorsed social entrepreneur with 20 years of experience. Alison identifies with the Papua New Guinean, Irish and Australian ancestry, has always had a desire to explore her own identity through creative expression. An accomplished singer, actor and published children's book author, my God, has been a progressive contributor to various applications in various industries. Secondly, Ariadna Maramoros Fernandez, a senior lecturer in digital media at QUT, chief investigator at the Digital Media Research Centre, and associate investigator at the National ARC Centre for Excellence for Automated Decision Making and Society. Breath. Her research focuses on the entanglements between digital platforms and user experiences in reproducing systemic inequality. She's experiencing in new methods uh, to study digital platforms and is leading research projects investigating platform governance in relation to memes and other controversial content. Keyword memes, I took from that. I'm expecting much hilarity. 
And finally, on the pro team, Natalia Brangeporn, a lived experience youth mental health advocate and child and youth mental health clinician in remote Queensland. <laughs> Natalia is a passionate practitioner for young people, having a voice in design, in policy and systems. She has diverse experience leadership in mental health. Welcome teams, pro team, con team, welcome to the stage. Big round of applause for our debaters, please. Do you know why you're here? Thank God. Okay, great. Um, we will soon begin. I'd like to invite you to shake hands with your opposing teams. Death stare them if you like. Each speaker will have five minutes to present their case. It's a traditional debate format with one speaker from each team following each other. There can be rebuttal in between each speaker. At the end, there will be some commentary, some points given for each speaker by myself, so completely arbitrary and up to me. Fantastic. At the very end of today, we will announce a winner based on points and a winner based on your votes as well. Finishing that debate, we will then have a panel discussion where we can ask questions to the panelists themselves to inquire about potentially perspectives you've had, to tell them off, don't tell them off if you like, uh, or to offer additional insight. <laughs> Debaters, are you ready to parlay? Yes. Yes, come yes. on, come on. Yes. Let's do it. Yes, yeah. let's go. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> I will now invite the uh, first speaker from the pro team to offer their opening remarks. Hello, everyone. Um, so nice to see you all here. Um, so, okay, probably some of you, when you hear the term walk or a walk internet, um, you roll your eyes like the emoji. Um, this is because wokeness is commonly associated with perhaps being oversensitive or political correctness going mad or even sometimes like of being toxic online. But we want to argue that these understandings are of wokeness are a strong deviation of what the term means and where did it come from. And we defend the position that we must return to understanding wokeness in its original form. So to give it a bit of context, um, stay woke or to be woke is a black vernacular. Um, it is a term that has been used among black communities since as early as the beginning of the 20th century um, to indicate the need to be aware of racially motivated threats. And Around the mid-2000s, the Black Lives Matter movement gave it a revival to this term when activists started like, tweeting to stay woke as kind of a call of being alert to police brutality in the US and elsewhere. So from this original use, the term wokeness has evolved to describe the quality of being aware or awake to the fact that marginalized communities suffer systemic inequality and systemic discrimination around the world. So to stay woke is to stay aware of the fact that we don't live in a post-racial or post-feminist world where the goals of feminism and anti-racism have already been achieved. So if we think about it, if the political claims of marginalized communities had really gone too far, we would live in a world where the distribution of power and wealth would look pretty different to what we have now. 
So we believe and we defend that a woke internet is a better internet because it allows people to come together and work towards social change and towards community and, co and coalition building. And a woke internet is an internet that is socially conscious about systemic inequality, but also importantly, that wants to do something about it. And good examples of a woke internet are, for instance, here in, Aquel, here in Australia, the Yes for Equality campaign during Australia's vote for marriage equality, or the SOS Black Australia, that it was a campaign to stop the forced closure of, our, of Aboriginal communities. And because a woke internet goes against the status quo, um, it will inevitably trigger some sort of conflict and people will feel uncomfortable. But this is not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes we feel uncomfortable when we are challenged, but we can outgrow this feeling and take it as an opportunity to learn. And this is similar to what happens with our everyday relationships with our friends and with our partners, right? So these relationships are not frictionless. Um, we often have disagreements and we talk about these things and if we create a space where we can be open to learn and where we can feel that we can express ourselves, then most of the time these relationships become stronger and we even become better people because of this process of learning and unlearning. So a woke internet for us offers a similar opportunity, but we must be willing to be challenged, to listen, and to learn. So in a way to wrap up this first intervention, we argue that a woke internet is a better internet because it helps people to build social awareness about systemic inequality, and it is an invitation to do something about it, obviously always within everyone's own possibilities. And that's it. The teams will now have a couple of minutes uh, to make some notes before we call on the con team to present. Um, I will attribute negative uh, five points for such a long bio for me to read out. Um, <laughs> but I will give you 10 points. Uh, I think the comment about woke being a calling to us, almost a shorthand uh, towards social justice, uh, was a fantastic point. So I will, I will give you that. Oh, it's quite jaunty. Um, con team, are you prepared? Are you ready to parlay? Yeah. Yeah. Can we get two minutes or is that? You can have two minutes. Okay. If you, if you discuss. Okay, cool. You're ready? Yeah. Oh, we I mean, took your time. I Great. Like 40 points just given. <laughs> Con team, are you ready to parlay? Yeah. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that wonderful argument. And we are obviously arguing the cons. And I'd like to start with a really interesting statistic about wokeness. 43% of Australians don't even know what the word woke means. So... You can argue that a woke internet creates a safe space for people to discuss, but really, are we not encouraging curiosity over conflict, which is what the pro side could be asking? Instead, we're trying to apply a westernized concept to a universal internet where there are many groups of people and different cultures. 
By definition, wokeness on the internet is about identifying individual identities, but what we know about online spaces is that they're volatile and ever-changing. So if the internet is a place of curiosity, what does curiosity look like if there's a concentration of power on who gets to make the decisions of what kind of language is used online? And also, if we're all about curiosity, how do we generalize every lived experience by a concentration of power? And if we are about curiosity, do we not want to keep spaces for people who are like-minded so they have a place to meet? I don't know about you, but I tend to find it quite disingenuous when someone pretends to understand my lived experience because they're trying to be woke. But I think there's a really good example in our current climate that really speaks to what censorship on an extreme level can actually look like. We can talk about the CCP and how they censor people on their internet. They don't have access to things like Google or Facebook. And I know what I love about where we are in our society is our freedom to say what we want to say, be with who we want to be with, and fight for the things that we truly believe in. Now imagine if that kind of power was in a worldwide billion-dollar organization. What would that look like? Now we love our internet freedom, but we want an internet of curiosity, not one of conflict. And history is not black nor white. So I'm kind of leaning on the side of not so conflicting internet. Thank you. Well done, Quantine. A uh, couple of points. Uh, I mean, it was a really great statistic. I love a statistic. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Big stats fan in the audience. Uh, also love the point about you know, censorship, is that really a thing? Is, is wokeness authentic or is it performative? Love it. Uh, while the pro team are conferring, I'll just tally up those points. Enjoy the elevator music. Pro team, the lack of music means it's your turn. Thanks, Will. To start off tonight, um, I wanted to quote my friend, Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> no one else was in the room where it happened. The room where it happened. The room where it happened. No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens. But no one else is in the room where it happens. These rooms still exist. The situation room, the newsroom, the bargaining table, the chamber, the boardroom, the secure briefing room. It's actually shocking how many rooms there were when I Googled them today, actually. <laughs> rooms where only a select few in a position to affect institutions and broader social structures like prejudice and inequality. As the negative team, just argue for us. The work internet is about fighting for what we believe in. Where curiosity can be mischaracterised um, as conflict, as dialogue, as a form of uncomfortable space. But that's because we, we function in a society where 
the status quo doesn't like to be challenged. But the woke internet comes from marginalised communities, those that have been traditionally and historically structurally oppressed. And that's where it comes in. Because today I'll highlight that the woke internet has the power to build and throw these doors of these rooms wide open so that global coalitions and community lines can enter. My first point tonight is that the internet is a common room. 66% of the world, world's population can access the internet. And just to say as well, um, to rebut the uh, negative team there, that 43%, uh, I know they mentioned a stat that some Australians um, don't know what the term woke is, but keep in mind that 43% of Australians are over the age of 60 as well. Um, and the most, um, thank you for everyone over 60 coming tonight um, as well. <laughs> mass, there has been mass availability of smartphones, image recognition, wearable computers and other technologies readily available, which supports people with disabilities, those socially isolated and those who have traditionally experienced injustice to be able to communicate their humanity and their agency while also having protection through the power of coalition and the power of a common voice. When aggregated together, collected, collected voices together, they snowball. They have this snowballing effect, which means that these messages endlessly shared, contributed to and amplified have meaningful reforms. Some of the ways that the internet common room has have had such a meaningful change have included things like the hashtag MeToo movement, which urged victims of sexual harassment and assault to share their stories in social media, which led to the arrest and imprisonment of Harvey Weinstein and also the US ending forced arbitration of sexual assault and sexual harassment act of 2021. Also, another example that's been mentioned tonight is the Black Lives Matter movement, as a movement against institutionalised racism globally, which has resulted in a number of key uh, positive policy changes, one of which includes um, implicit bias training, body-worn cameras, and bans on no-knock warrants, to name a few. Now, we know that the internet is a common room. The internet actually also has real human roommates on the internet. And that actually can make you a better neighbour. So I spent my early 20s living in a share house with about seven people. It was a good time. But, you know, when you live in a house with that many people, um, I would recommend it, actually, because you get to see not just the good, but there's also the bad, there's also the ugly. Um, and really, having everybody in, all, in the same place, in a similar place, um, actually is sort of like the internet. It's sort of like this giant global share house. And so what it does give is storytelling by real people with, on real events, with real voices and real experiences, which resist the power of mainstream media to control the narrative or monopolise the truth. An example that I can share today is one of Flint, Michigan, one of the poorest cities in America. It's... A, it's a city which led to the, the water supply. <laughs> I'm hearing that I should get up, but that I'm going to keep time. going. I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. I, I promise. How much more? Oh, just a little. Just a little. I'll exchange a point for a little. Yeah, no right, problem. Done. That's fine. Children in Flint, Michigan experienced uh, about 12,000 children exposed to lead poisoning, but... 
the, the mainstream media said, oh, it's all good, no problem, the water's all good. But actually through social media, firstly, it drew international attention that there were these water crisis perpetrators, how important this humanitarian crisis was and that there needed to be changed. But also through groups like Humans of Flint, they were able to display and celebrate the positive aspects of their lives, of hope, of happiness, of joy, and their strengths as, um, as their collective identity, not just as victims of this humanitarian crisis. Thereby, their online world was an extension of their real world, enhancing the bonds of those in their communities. My last, to leave you with this, I want you to think about your neighbourhood Facebook page. Think about those you see. I know that um, everyone can go on their Facebook page if they want to see it after. Um, you're seeing those people seeking a plumber because a water main burst, a community market announcement, uh, complaints about the poor traffic and the recent break-in. But really, that community, it's an extension of the And time. <laughs> and you get to hear the stories of real people. Well done. So that was a lesson negotiation um, and exchanging points for time. There's something to think about. Uh, up to you. A um, couple of bits of feedback. Love the rooms analogy. I thought that was um, absolutely fantastic. I do feel a little bit seen by the sharehouse people comments. I might have been that guy with dishes on the sink for a week. So I feel a little bit uncomfortable by that. But Otherwise, beautiful analogy. Ran a bit over time, so we'll, as I said, take some points off for that. But otherwise, fantastic job. Oh, you're ready? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. the music's still going. I okay. was communicating telepathically, so. Oh, um, I, was, I felt a tingle. Yeah. Can, can I just say the negative team loves the Golden Girls, Skippy, and some of those 60-plus shows. <laughs> Can't speak for everyone on stage. Um, thank you for coming along today. You know, because normally when you think someone who's opposed to the woke internet, you might expect to see people wearing MAGA hats and with Jordan Peterson tickets. It's not. It's, it's just people who sometimes are just concerned with where the world could be heading, more, more so the, the response that we could get. And if I could just start with a quick story. This is an absolutely true story. When I was six years old, my family was living in England and we were driving through the car. It was me in the back, my brother, my mum and dad, and a group of skinheads surrounded the car and threw a milkshake onto the windscreen. And I was just, you know, I was really shocked at the time. I thought, what kind of skinheads use strawberry milkshake? Um, <laughs> like, that's the most delicious hate crime I'd ever been through. <laughs> more milkshake, more hate crimes, Mum. That was fairly mild, but the world's getting worse. Uh, we've had the 9-11 terror attack. Sikhs were getting pushed in front of trains. You saw what happened two years ago in Christchurch outside that mosque. We are seeing a rise in right-wing populism. The Le Pens in France, Orban in Hungary, Trump 1.0 got elected after saying that, you know, Mexicans are rapists and we need to build the wall. That was still fine. What is Trump 2.0 going to look like? And the thing is, how do we stop right-wing populism? And I would say it is by persuading people into the woke ideas that we want to, or the socially just ideas, not by forcing them, not by excluding them, not by separating them. Look at ourselves tonight. You've all sat separately with the people you know. No one sat with the statistician, right? Like, <laughs> which is understandable. 
But we need to build bridges. And I do this, like I'm really fortunate to get to present on the radio. And one thing I notice is that when I share stories about my culture, about um, mum making a papadam and banana dessert and how to make it, or that the fact that Indian languages don't have the ah sound like cat and bat. That's why Ashwin is Ashwin. You know, people come on board with these stories. I had an activist come on, a woke activist, the other day and I interviewed her and she was straight into white guilt, white fragility, white tears, that sort of traditional woke language to, you know, use tension to change. It didn't work. The audience turns. You radicalise people. That was only in a small way. You do that en masse, you create radicals and we're seeing that rise of radicals. Um, so that's my first objection is the right-wing populism that results from... I guess what we're saying is let's Martin Luther King it, not Malcolm X it, because that's what the new movement can do it, you know? So that's one area. And the other is everyone should have a right to speak. Um, we all believe in justice. Like Martin Luther King said, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Let's persuade people towards justice. If you force them, if you kick them off the public square, when only 26% are signed up already, they won't come meekly. They'll resist. And it's people of colour that will bear the brunt when that resistance happens. Um, so that's the issue. So when I think about the internet, I'm not saying we want a non-woke internet or a woke internet. I would say let's have an internet that's as neutral as possible politically and let everyone compete. And whoever's got the best ideas, let those ideas thrive. If you don't do that, the biases that are in your tribe's ideology won't get questioned. They'll just become normalised. So when you think about woke ideology, it's got so many virtues of highlighting crimes and minority oppression that existed that we didn't even think about. So that's the virtue. But there are vices, just like everyone else. Psychologists sometimes criticise uh, trigger warnings because they say, yes, that has a place, but it also can keep you trapped in the past. It can also prevent you from developing growth and resilience. Or sometimes they criticise lived experience and feelings. Again, it has a place. But if you focus on that, like I could have a lived experience of racism, but maybe my feelings were wrong. Maybe I exaggerated or I misunderstood. So feelings need to be balanced with other data points. In a therapy session, let alone in a society-wide session, stats, all of this matters. So if the woke ideology is in charge of the internet, its blind spots won't get questioned, which is why it should be a participant in the internet, not in charge of it. That's why we don't believe in a woke internet. We believe in a neutral internet. And if everyone voluntarily embraces woke ideas and it goes from 26% to 100%, then we will end up with a woke internet naturally, but it won't be forced on people. Thank you. Amazing. Um, excellent to time as well, which was interesting to see. Um, Is that bonus points? Or? Uh, yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, you are catching up quick. No spoilers. Um, bit of time for the pro team to prepare. You'll give me the nod when you're ready. Ready. Last speaker for the pro team. Uh, please welcome her to parlay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> you to you too. <laughs> okay. So, what an incredible discussion. Um, I'd like to start by thanking the losing team. Your wonderful sentiments. Just kidding. Stay woke, fam. Stay woke. <laughs> so, I would like to start by acknowledging my colleagues um, Ariadna and Natalia, and who, who spoke so eloquently about 
how a woke internet provides us an opportunity, a platform to engage in these confronting conversations, um, many of which were referenced by the opposing team. Um, and it's these uncomfortable conversations that evoke learning and evolution, self-awareness and growth, which is exactly what our team is arguing for, the presence of being woke and allowing us to unlearn and re-engage and self-reflect and basically be aware. Um, Natalia spoke about systemic oppression and the mischaracterization of what curiosity really is. We live in a world that is filled with curiosity. If we cannot ask these questions online in this environment, where can we ask them? I'd like to speak to uh, the first speaker of the opposing team who talked about a concentration of power. This is precisely why being woke is so important, to dismantle that concentration of power that has existed for many, many, many years and uh, supported the marginalisation of, of communities all over the world who have sat on the outlier and not been acknowledged and not been heard and not been allowed to speak. Um, we break down and challenge these social norms through the act of being woke, which is, again, not a new term, as my colleague Adriana spoke to you about AAV, African-American vernacular, coming from a place of pain, a deep sense of wanting to belong and challenge racism, social issues. Um, the op opposing team also spoke about conflict, Human nature cannot avoid conflict. We've had conflict since we swam, crawled out of the oceans, since Adam and Eve, whatever you believe, conflict exists. But it is the resolution of that conflict that is important. It is how we strive towards resolving. And through, we believe, a woke internet, these conversations are able to happen, able to exist. Speaker two spoke about Donald Trump. And he and his right-wing mob love to engage in weaponizing being woke because it fits their agenda. It's how they speak to their powerful men patriarchy. It's how they band together to try and fight change and evolution. Sorry, Trump, not today. White fragility is not a new concept. And uh, many of these terms, including workisms, have historical roots, some dating back to the Bible. We talk about historical workism. The term Buddha literally means awakening. This is not a new concept. And for this day and age, the way we all communicate with each other, it is vital for our young people to be able to engage in these conversations. The opposing team talked about toxicity and toxic environments. And I would like to counter that by saying, being woke is the perfect way to out these toxic environments and to make them aware, to bring them out into the open. We would never have had the Me Too movement. We would never have had BLM if we were not able to engage in these conversations that challenge that toxic culture. So really, what is toxicity? Are our, are our conversations toxic or are we putting toxic people away? I think the latter. So biases, you also spoke about, these are challenged. And when we're given a chance to self-reflect and unlearn these behaviours that are instilled in us, we have an opportunity to educate 
as well with empathy and understanding. I can hear the clock ticking. So lastly, being woke, as you said, Ashwin, is forced on people. It is not, my friend. It is a choice. And it is the best choice. We are in the midst of a societal shift that brings global voices together as a collective society to affect change that is tangible, vital, and vital in the protection of marginalised community. So I think it's time all of us and you all had a woke up call. Peace. Uh, amazing job. A um, number of things in there I loved. Uh, I think, it, it, fascinatingly, it's coming down to, a, I think, a discussion about woke as a way for us to fight our inner conflict that has always existed, and the argument that woke is actually holding us back from finding our true goodness. Fascinating. Um, loved the commentary about toxicity and what is toxicity. Brilliant. Uh, four points. Last speaker on the con team, last speaker for the parlay debate. Please welcome third speaker for the con team, Damon. All right, what an incredible discussion so far. And like Will said, I cannot see any of you. So thank you to anyone I know in the audience. And hopefully for those I don't, you're about to join us on the side of the con team. Um, I did bring some people here just to kind of add a bit of extra weight of because, you know, that's how these things work, and you're just giving away points like I've never seen before at a debate, so <laughs> this is interesting. Before I share my opening thoughts, I just want to really amplify and, and repeat some of the amazing points that my two colleagues here, Michelle and Ashwin, made. Michelle spoke about the concentration of power leading to curiosity. We have heard many C words today, and I think curiosity is the one that we want you to stay with. We don't want to be generalising the lived experience by determining what is and what isn't woke, and by policing speech... That doesn't allow for people to have a safe space to meet with like-minded people. And I'll chat a little bit about some of the rooms we've heard that these people should be hanging out in and who's allowed and who's not allowed in those rooms. Ashwin said that persuasion works better than coercion and that free speech allows persuasion to work and that all political ideologies obviously have virtues and potential dangers and an internet in which woke ideology runs the platform rather than participates in it is quite scary. We don't want any more concentrated power in these tech companies determining how woke you need to be in order to operate on those platforms. Just look at what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter right now. Before I get into my rebuttals from the pro team, I do need to address the elephant in the room. Um, and I want to clarify something. There has been a lot of rumours flying around about me that I would like to clear up. Um, it is true that I am one of the original co-founders of Spur over 12 years ago. It is true that the person speaking to you today appears to be and is a straight white male. It is true that I've spent the last seven years working in the liberal zeitgeist of a city called San Francisco. And yes, it is true, I host the podcast. Don't hold that against me. What is not true, despite all of the above and the rumours that maybe the uh, pro team were sharing with people in the audience tonight, is that I was not placed on this team as a decoy to make sure that Michelle and Ashwin don't win. <laughs> I know everything I just said screams, what a woke person. Yet here I am on the con team. I stand before you today to let you know that despite all of the above and potentially being the white male poster boy of what a woke internet might look like, I do not believe that a woke internet is a better internet. And I don't believe it for these three reasons. I believe we should be having a culture on the internet where we can have strong beliefs loosely held. I believe that curiosity over righteousness. And I believe that when you first logged on to the internet, 
It wasn't because you wanted to find people who already believed in what you believed so you could have all of your views in this little echo chamber of a room and just confirming each other like, what a great idea that was, I've got the same one. It's because you want to expand your view of the world through curiosity and also take in other people's experiences while not trying to own them as your own. Some of the things that we heard the opposition say was that the internet could be a place where conflict is a good thing. I would argue that there is enough conflict in the world and I don't think the internet, a place where there's so many anonymous people on there, is a place that we want more conflict. We heard that a work internet is like a share house. I'm not sure about you, I'd never want to be back in a share house. That was one of the first things I wanted to get away from was the idea of being in a share house. We heard about these rooms where when you're in a share house that there is these potentially incredibly loud housemates. To me, that is what the woke internet, loud housemates screaming at each other, trying to make sure that people believe their beliefs. I believe that an internet of curiosity where you get to be in your own room that you decide to be in, not be forced to be in, is a better one. We heard a lot about, uh, a little bit of entitlement from the final speaker that they'd already won, and I just wanted to call that out. I found that a little bit offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Will did say that we were down on some points, but like to say that you've already won is, you know, come on. <laughs> I did, um, we mentioned a few friends that we all know. There was some name dropping of Lin-Manuel Miranda. If we're going to play that game, let's play that game. I'm friends with Esther Perel, and I want to say that in Melbourne recently, there was two talks on on the same night. Jordan Peterson and Esther Perel. Do you want to know what room I was in if we're going to talk about the room where it happens? The Esther Perel room. Because that is a curious room about relationships, about how we interact as humans. Do you know where I was not? in the Jordan Peterson room. Jordan Peterson is the woke internet room that I don't know if anyone wants to be in that room, but I was not there and I have the tickets and the receipts to prove it. <laughs> so I will admit that the pro team had a tough assignment. Um, I commend them for their points, but you know, with a headline that you might expect to see on a TikTok, here's three reasons why we can't agree that a woke internet is a better internet. Mm. Curiosity, let's just stay with that. You're all here because you're probably curious. I want to ask you, did you come here because you wanted to prove that you were woke? Did you want to show to your friends, look at the debate I'm attending, look at how woke I am? Or did you come here because you're curious, because you want to learn? An internet should be a safe place, a neutral place, where we can learn about people's experiences, but not take them on as our own. Not try take someone's lived experience and say, I've learned enough about that to be in that room with them. Let's stick to the curiosity. Thank you so much for coming to this debate. I'd like to clarify some rumours. Uh, it is true, Damon was one of the original co-founders of our non-profit. Uh, to be fair, he has uh, since ditched us, moved to San Francisco years ago, and the only reason he's here tonight is because I know he doesn't have much to do. So <laughs> it's not like a favouritism thing, just, just to be clear. Okay, cool. Um, passionately argued. I loved that. It got a little bit spicy. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you can show me the receipts and ask Perel later, just to verify. Uh, I will give you four points, because I do think that you argued your perspective on woke, if I can interpret it as uh, woke kills curiosity really, really well. So well done. Um, that was the parlay, and both, both teams have had their chance to present their arguments. Could we give them one last round of applause for a job very well done? Uh, there were no fists that were thrown, which is great. There were no bottles uh, that were hurled, which is a fantastic outcome. We weren't quite sure. Um, 
now I would like to, we have a couple of things to do. Uh, we will be discussing this in more detail. And I'd love, I've made a few notes. So I'd love to inquire both teams and see what your thoughts actually are. And I'll acknowledge that you both played a role. Uh, we asked you to participate in this, whether or not you believed in a particular way, but could you sit on a team and argue a point, which was really the purpose of this parlay. So thank you very much for stepping into those shoes, finding a reason to argue, and looking at this from a different perspective that may not be your own. Thank you very much, well done. Uh, we have a couple of things to change, so please rise from your chairs, join me at the front of the stage, and we're going to decide the winner of this parlay. Uh, you listened, they parlayed, they presented their arguments. Can I get a hmm? Hmm. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Which team, based on your hmm, do you think presented their best argument for their viewpoint? Can I get, uh, what do you think of the con team? Hmm. Interesting. The pro team. Inconclusive. <laughs> Let's try this again. Con team? Oh, okay, that's a bit stronger. Pro team? <laughs> Can I just say, you sound more confused about the pro team. <laughs> <laughs> One last time. Pro team? Okay, con team? That's a clear winner. Con team, congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> I will say my point system really fell apart somewhere in there. Uh, so I don't know who I, I actually chose as the winner. Uh, the point of this debate, though, as I mentioned, was, is not actually to convince you of any particular viewpoint. We're not hoping that by the end of tonight you walk out of here thinking, you know what, my view has changed, I think, entirely differently. It's instead to see, yeah, I can see why you'd think that, and I respect your viewpoint for that. I hadn't thought about that, and I appreciate that that's your view. I don't need to attack you for it. It sounds trite, it sounds saccharine, but we do believe that is something that we have lost as a society and something that if we regain, we can perhaps have more curiosity. We can perhaps have more social justice. You're listening to The Parlay from Museum of Sticks and Stones. That was the first half of the event, the debate. Our debaters now return for a panel discussion to further explore the topic for this parlay. Behind each of your chairs, you do have a small gift uh, on behalf of your efforts in, in parlaying, which is an olive tree. Um, yes, we've gifted you something to look after and grow and a responsibility. Um, it's also a symbol of, of a tradition that we'd like to, to start with the parlay about you know, growing peace together. And, and this conversation, while it was a debate and you were, in a sense, competing against each other, mostly by my instigation, um, it is something we've done together. So please enjoy your olive trees. I've named each of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you later. Um, I, I do have a couple of questions, and, and that discussion, I think, was um, particularly interesting. Uh, and, I, and I'd like to start by asking, if, if, if it sounds like we had different views on whether wokeness itself is net benefit or it's a, a net negative, what the hell do we do? What, what is the alternative? And, and, if, and if the problem, in a sense, is that woke kills curiosity, but you weren't arguing that we shouldn't have all the things that the pro team was celebrating, well, what do we, what do we say instead? What do we use as, as the calling clarion, that is wokeness, to call for everybody to move towards this progress? How, how, do, you, how do you encourage the benefits of wokeness without wokeness? 
That's a super hard question because I agree with, I want a more tolerant, just world. Like everything they were talking about, I want that because that's better for everyone. My question was how do you compel it on the internet? So I just, I think we're in for a rough 20, 30 years and I, I think there's something, just, I'll just come back to your point in just a moment. There's a unique historical moment I feel we're in. We have got an ageing population, which we've never had. We've never had science this good that we've got an ageing population, right? So all these people are getting old. You've got a Western world that's going to be super stressed for 20, 30 years as it gets old. People are losing their jobs through automation and through, you know, AI. So it's just a really stressed people. And I thought if you force them to um, say you can't speak on the public square or you're racist but you don't understand why because you're not sophisticated enough to understand the woke orthodoxy, it just feels like it's throwing kerosene on the fire. So that's why I'm thinking this moment is a bit dangerous. So let's just go gently. I don't know how to police the internet in that gentle way. People will do their own things and if you force them, they'll use the dark web or they'll do something else. So it doesn't start with the internet. It starts with humans before they get to the internet. So how are parents raising kids? How much intermarriage is there? How much cultural connection is there? Maybe these are the things that can sort of reduce hostility between people because the internet is just a reflection of our own hostility. So it's a huge problem, but you have to start with reducing hostility. So maybe there's some studies in hostility reduction and building bridges. So that's probably one place to start. Thank you. Yeah. I would like to pick up with what Ashwin said about just calling someone, okay, you're a racist and obviously you will have someone like just saying, why, like you are labeling me. But what we were trying to like defend is that um, there's a difference in calling someone a racist um, to say, okay, you are engaging with a racist practice at this moment. This doesn't mean that this defines you as a racist, but you can, you can learn by like explaining why it's racist or like for us, the woke internet is a space where if something happens with indigenous Australians here and you are watching mainstream like TV, but you go on Twitter and there are certain hashtags that if you want to know what they are talking about at their own perspective, you can go there and just listen to these and just make your mind and say, okay, um, sometimes if you contribute and you mess up, maybe you will have like an answer that you don't like. And, and that's what we were saying about being challenged because in a way, learning is not always nice. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable. And I think that the generation that you are mentioning is just like, they, they, they don't like, or, or not, it's not only a generation, like all of us, sometimes we don't know how to cope with this. And we have to be more aware of, um, more reflexes about, well, maybe I will be called out about my own assumptions and that's okay. So it's just finding a balance. Uh, we completely agree with not being toxic and, and it's been co-opted with people that just say that they are wokes because maybe they are trolls or maybe they just want to like, use the wokeness to, to engage in hate speech or, or to attack others. But the idea of that we have to be all very nice always within uncomfortable topics, it's also a bit like... It can't happen. It will always be conflict, I think. Mm. I, sorry, I just want to continue on that point. I think it's really important to um, consider generational perspectives towards 
being woke. I mean, perhaps the concept in itself, I remember, you know, I don't personally remember the 70s, but I do know the hippie era, people were like, oh my God, acid taking morons, look at them all naked running through the streets. Um, I'm sure people considered them as woke. So, you know, I, I think it's also really important to understand the influence that we have from America. I think this is a huge thing that I guess essentially affects what wokeism and that whole concept. I mean, let's it, it was from black American. It, it came from the struggles of, of African Americans. So the way we bring that onto ourselves and 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 particularly within Australia. I mean, we live in a country that is still desperately trying to find a way to address its own history, which is pretty disgusting. So, you know, and so we're, we're, from a generational point of view, we have people who are like, oh, God, everyone's so sensitive, da da da, da. But in reality, it's a, it's a time, we are in a time where our children are existing online more so than perhaps having meaningful conversations in real life. I agree with you, Ashwin, that we do have to come back to how we raise our children. What conversations are we having with them? How do we educate them and teach them how to um, exist in online platforms? But And so I think, you know, both... I'm certainly a fence-sitter. I agree with so much of what you were saying. And, and just like Natalia, I also educated myself this week doing a bit of research. So... I find it very interesting that from generational perspectives, it's it's completely different. And I think empathy is certainly something every single one of us can strive towards, you know, building emotional IQ and things like that when it comes to thinking about what woke really means. Um, yeah, and I think even when doing the research as well, it's interesting, one thing about history is that it's sort of like a pendulum. It swings really far to one side at some point. And just looking at some examples, we found that, you know, you could look at the civil rights era. A lot of people were for, you know, the emancipation of slavery or even for black people getting the right to vote. But as soon as black people got that right to vote, there was the swing again where people were like, this needs to end immediately. So we sort of find ourselves in this place where language is changing over time really quickly but the law can just never keep up fast enough. And I think that's where the anti-work argument comes from, which is a lot of new terms are coming up every now and again. You know, first it was you're discriminatory or it could be then you're racist and then it's, well, now you're a white supremacist. And most times people don't even have an understanding of what these terms mean. And a lot of them, it's like these intellectual conversations that are now coming into regular language, everyday language, and, you know, maybe your average Joe is getting a little bit confused. They're saying, I thought I wasn't racist, I thought we dealt with that in the 60s, but now they're getting to call new terms. So I find that, you know, we just can't keep up with the language fast enough, and I think that's where a lot of the anti-work rhetoric is coming from, at least that's what I found in my research. I've got thoughts, but if you want another question, I'm happy. <laughs> I was just... Um... All the internet really is, is a container. And we experience it through the, the websites that we visit, the people we interact with, the words we put on it, the words we choose not to. And I think, you know, if you think about what's another container that you might have this conversation about, should some, this thing be woke or not, you could think about the workplace. And I think, you know, that we've seen that play out as well. You know, what role does an activist organisation play? What role does the organisation have to play in terms of making the world better? 
And it's like, I think we still struggle to talk about a lot of things at work. You know, we struggle to talk about politics and race in the workplace. We struggle to talk about, you know, how things are really going, how to support people about mental health. And then if we are struggling when our identities are already real and there's things on the line, like your employment, your pay, your ability to provide, I think what makes the internet such a intimidating and intense place and the reason why we need this discussion is because there is so many anonymous people who operate there with no repercussions, who are putting their voices onto things that they don't necessarily understand because whether they want to, because they are looking for some sense of meaning, because they are looking for something to be part of, there's, you know, we know communities, important communities, how we've survived for thousands of years. And the internet is a place that people find it. I think one of the reasons that we felt so passionate about the Consite is that it's a place where people maybe are putting their voices on things that they don't necessarily understand and the ramifications are huge. I'm really curious about that. And, and, and I have a thought that I'm nervous to say in front of um, researchers because you might correct me. But as I understand, in any society, social dominance theory will tell us that groups of people will vie for dominance in terms of, in this community, I have more status and more importance than you. And generally, the way that we can combat that is by exposure to these groups and to more humanise rather than dehumanise those groups. But what terrifies me, and Ashwin, you talked about the next 20, 30 years, and, and I, I don't know how we'll get through it because the internet is its own macrocosm community where the ability to humanise people is essentially neutered because you can't really see that person face-to-face. -face. You can't look them in the eyes. You can't see them as a real being. They're just a username, you know, Spaceball69 on the computer. And so what... <laughs> Wasn't that funny? Apologies uh, if that's your actual <laughs> tag on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do we... If, if, if this is a natural human thing, which I believe that it is, that we look for, you're the group that I need to be aware of and, and hate you, and how the hell do we have an internet society, which isn't going anywhere, it's to stay, with you know, the fact that human beings are using it who are naturally inclined to say, you're bad, I'm more important than you, you're assaulting my identity, therefore you're bad and evil. What, the, what do we do? It's really interesting, Alec, I guess, to not answer your question. Cool. Is that um, in some of the reading, one of the thoughts in, in my reading that I came across was this idea of, like, what if the internet is just a group of fictional characters, of fictional reading, where you might interact with that platform in the same way you might watch a show on Netflix or you might um, read a novel and in the same way that the, those characters have um, complications that are resolved or in the same way that that show really draws you in, uh, but it helps you reflect on your values and reflect on the way that you see your life or, like, um, the, the happiness you feel in middle age or whatever that could be. Um, maybe the internet's something like that. Maybe even though they become fictional characters, they still have a mechanism where, as the reader, maybe you're not responding, maybe you're not interacting or engaging with that content sort of in an active way, but as a reader, even passively, you're critically reflecting on, like, oh, do I agree with this? What's my position on this? Would I tell my friends about this? And I think in that way, like, the internet can be, a, like, a, a place where there's dangerous ideas and where you're, you're, you're thrown into sort of that hate-type feeling. But also, if we saw them as 
fiction or fictional, um, we actually do have a mechanism to still reflect on, oh, what does this mean for me? Without throwing ourselves deeply headfirst into the story, I guess. Can I just pick up on that point? I think fiction, it's interesting, the two least prized subjects at school, isn't it, is art class and religious studies. They're kind of like a throwaway. But arts is one of the ways you humanise people, reading and movies and music. So I think maybe we'll talk so much about STEM, but that's just a means to an end kind of subject. So more art will probably help. And not, it's not the total, um, total solution. But also this religious idea, we're talking about... Spiritual, you know, gurus are like, we need to meditate more and maybe there's some truth to just relaxation techniques, um, stress relief, meditation, that can just bring our cortisol levels down because we're probably the most stressed society on earth in the West because how high-paced our lives are. So maybe stress relief will help humanise people. And, and just one last point on religion as well. I wonder, and this is a point that's been made before, that there's something in the Western, in the Christian, Judeo-Christian DNA which has sinners and saved, righteous and non-righteous, Gentiles and Jews. It's quite a binary between we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. That's not there in every religion. Like if you're in Eastern Taoism, Hinduism, Buddhism, it's more like you don't know who you really are. You better still your mind and calm it down until you discover your oneness with everything. So this... Sinners and saved is a particular mindset we had in this society for 2,000 years. We just let it go 60 years ago. I wonder if it's still echoing now and people want to still cling to, I'm on the side of good and they're on the side of evil. It's just somewhere in our DNA. It might not be true, but it's good to reflect on what's deep inside us because that might help us to pacify some of our worst instincts. Mm. It's almost like saints and sinners woke and unwoke. Yeah. Or if you're on the other, other side of the fence, woke is the sinner. Yeah. Yeah, and you're a social justice warrior. And, and yeah, it's things. that black and white mm. thinking, binary dualistic thinking. Mm. Well, in, in that sense, then, I mean, if, if we can, if it sounds like we have some common ground on the fact that wokeness as an idea is good intended, um, even as the fact that it was, you know, it was, it was appropriated and it was originally something else that now that's been brought into the internet as a whole new thing, but it has problems. What about those that, you know, are performatively woke, I think, was, as was mentioned? Um, is, if somebody is acting in accordance with what we would hope that they would do in calling out bad things and, and you know, marching for, for, for good, but they just, I just want to be seen as a saint, is, is, that, is that okay? I saw a lot of it in San Francisco. Right. When you think about a lot of the companies that we spoke about today, a lot of the tech power is concentrated in San Francisco, San Jose, Silicon Valley. So from the company and the platform level, if you don't have a, a um, if you're not ha having a float in the pride parade as an organization, if, you know, if, if Salesforce did it and Google didn't, like, oh, Google doesn't care about that. But that doesn't mean that Google's using that platform to do anything about it, it just, it, it's a signal. So I think in many places, and I think this happens on the internet, people at a minimum go, I have to signal this. Whether I believe it, whether I'll do something about it, whether I'll actually support someone in that group in their time of need is very different. And I think that's where we need to understand that we need to go far beyond the signaling towards ideas of being woke to actual behaviour change and actions towards these groups. You know, when I was living there, um, you know, I was there during... Um, Did you live in San Francisco? 
Yeah, there was mentioned oh, you never, you never in my nine-minute intro. Um, but, like, I moved there when Barack Obama was president and I was there when Trump was elected and I survived all four years of Trump and the pandemic and a few other things thrown in. And, you know, there was certainly a moment where it's like, if you didn't march in the Black Lives Matter movement, people would be like, well, where were you that day? Mm. So, like, there's some of it which is just, like, expected behaviour. And I don't know if we've got those expected behaviours on the internet. I think as a society, we might have expected behaviours of what maybe an open-minded person would do, but I think there's still a gigantic gap between expected signalling of behaviour to actual behavioural change when people are trying to do things to create the world that we all believe we should live in. No, I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of virtue signaling, especially living in the age of social media. You know, there was times when people were posting black squares or even now, you know, we have so many ribbons, for example, for different causes. It's hard to keep up sometimes. But I think it, it just goes back to what Ashwin was saying again, like, when you want to see real change, you start with grassroots, you start with your community, it's how you treat people around you. And you see it a lot online when people are joining in on hashtags, trying to stay updated with a lot of different agendas that are happening to the point where they're just doing it so they don't get the backlash. And I think we need it, when you get to know yourself, you can say, you know, I actually don't know a lot about this issue, but this is the issue I'm passionate about. But now you're at the point where people are scared to say that they don't know a lot about a certain issue because then it's your, your anti-work or your anti that particular agenda. So again, yeah, I think work, the work starts at home. It starts in your community. It doesn't start by just keeping yourself in these internet spaces that are just such a vacuum. And there's just a lot of that. So do rather than label. Pardon? Yeah, do rather than label, for sure. Right. Because it just depends, I would say, like, if you're doing it for the validation, it just goes back to that age-old quote, the road to evil is paved with good intentions. It doesn't really matter what you're saying, what you're putting out there, what, what is the work that you're doing at home? Like, is your home good before you start pointing out what other people are doing? Hmm. No, I, I completely agree, but sometimes, and, and there's a lot of performativity, and there's a lot of selfie, I support, and that's it, and you don't do anything um, apart from posting this. But I think that sometimes we forget about small initiatives because it's the most visible, like this performativity. But I'm going to put an example. The other day, one of the students within the center, she's Ukrainian, and she's doing great research on like initiatives that happen on the internet to help people in Ukraine. And one example that it's using the internet to at least do a more meaningful thing, not just performativity, is an initiative that it's a collective that just um, gives you an, an avatar of yourself if you donate to the organizations that are helping people on the ground. So the only way that you can participate in this kind of satire and humorous like collective online is to do the donation. And once you donate the money and then you show it, then you have an avatar of yourself. And I didn't know about this, and, but there are, there are people that are using the internet to stay, like to do action, to do things for social justice. And I think that sometimes we forget about this and how we can use social media or the internet for the good because there's a lot of noise and there are a lot of voices and performativity, but, but in a way we can be a bit hopeful too and, and see the good way of using it and to be awake of these issues and do something about it through digital means. Mm. 
I think the other thing to add into the conversation is like even in the way that we're talking about it, there's like this like you post it, you don't post it, you put the banner, you don't put the banner. But really it comes back to the concept of joining hands with, with people from diverse views, from, the, from DDOT, from get-go, like um, surrounding yourself with people who think differently to you, that um, you can start your view by thinking about what other people's views are and talking to somebody, that um, it's not just about doing it or not doing it, but how do we collaborate, how do we co-design, how do we co-produce so that we are not just staying in our room, but reaching across and building bridges between both sides. Yeah, can I, and a part of that building bridges process, I think, is also to keep the fun and humour alive as well. And so I think some of the dangers, if you get to the extreme end of the woke movement, sometimes it can be a little bit humourless and serious. Mm -hmm. And you need that humour. And I lived in Malaysia for a year and... Chinese, Indian and Malay humour is different. There's a lot of ribbing of each other between groups um, and maybe it would be politically incorrect but there's kind of a, a bond that happens between people when they rib each other and connect and sometimes here, like I don't even like being called a person of colour because it feels a bit alienating and remote, like I'm an object of colour and just, you know, if you get two Indians, they'll call each other brownies or curries and just, there's an approved language you can use with each other. It's never person of colour. You'll never hear two Indians call each other person of unless it's a formal setting. So I just think keeping humour and ribbing and just spontaneity alive is important because if you're walking around eggshells around someone, you probably don't feel close to them. You might pay the right lip service, but you don't feel really connected. So we've got to find a way to progress our ideas, but still, I don't know, have a joke as well. Wonderful. Um, I would like to ask, just based on this, it sounds like um, there is some common grounds, as we established. Um, it, it maybe is a term or a perspective on that term that we're disagreeing upon, which I think is cool, interesting, and fascinating. Um, are, and this is to, to anybody, are you, are you hopeful that as a society, as a digital society even, that we can figure this out and find common ground and, and you know, have curiosity and have this, this wild open uh, rooms of curiosity and thought, but also to be equitable and to be inclusive and to have that social justice element? Can that be done? <laughs> Short answer, yes. Cool. I mean, Great. we must all live in hope for some collective future that involves, you know, these conversations, mm. maybe echoing what everyone has said, engaging in these conversations, having people come and, you know, willingly want to be involved in exploring topics like this that are quite confronting. Absolutely, I have hope as a black, you know, as a black Australian. And to kind of echo you, Ashwin, I've lived in many different countries also, and, you know, my organisation is called BIPOC Arts Australia. And I, you know, I use that term because based on the environment I live in, in white Australia, I was always seen as a person of colour. So not, not just as an Australian and continues to this day. So I took it back and I took it for my organisation and I, you know, I took that term and I invited anyone else in. And I've had incredibly meaning converse, meaningful conversations with people about the term BIPOC um, and what it means. And we've, we've discussed with each other and we've explored how, you know, how it all works and how we can, uh, I guess, 
feel safe in a space together. And I do understand labelling. I really do. I'm yeah. biracial. Can I just say, I don't mean that as an attack on you <laughs> no, or no, anyone no, else. No, 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 no attack. Just when friends are talking, and you might be the same, you Absolutely. probably don't use that term with friends. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that was not seen as an attack at all. It was seen for me as an opportunity to say, hey, awesome, that's, that's such a great conversation. Let's continue to have that as people, you know, who have brown skin. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, absolutely hope and hope for the next generation who I think are, are really like Jen, is it, I don't even know what Jen they are. Is it Z? Gen Z. Gen, yeah. <laughs> Gen Z are the, you know, the absolute catalyst of what, you know, woke is, I guess. They are in, at the pinnacle of, of this, you know, waterfall of, of woke that is happening right now. So I think... You know, I have a 19-year-old a, a son who lives at home with men. He's, he's woke, for sure. But he's also in a space with his peers that I've never heard them... I've never had discuss, heard discussions like this anymore, uh, before, about mental health, about how you, how you speak to each other, how you... And if that's what woke is, then I'm all for it, in, with that respect. I'm all for them bringing it all out into the open and talking about suicide and talking about all these things that traditionally were no-no, you know. So, yeah, they, I, I feel the hope and I see it as well with, with the next generation coming through. I'm excited for it. I think my thoughts on this really come down to the, the macro, which is the platforms, and the micro, which is the behaviours. I think if we look at a lot of the macro platforms where we're seeing this conversation about the internet and work culture take place, like Facebook.com was originally hot or not. Like, that is the community that we have been building the internet on. It was originally built as hot or not for college kids. Is that the societal framework that we want to be building the future of the internet and the future of our conversations on? You know, are they the founders? Are they the, are they the people with the ideologies that we believe in? Or do we need new structures, new platforms, new technology companies built on different systems of thinking where we can have these conversations? So I think where the power is concentrated and the role of platforms is going to have a massive impact on where this goes. And then I think at the micro level, at the behaviour level, will really come down to can you approach a subject of interest with curiosity and with the courage to say, I don't know enough about this, but I'm willing to listen. Hmm. And not trying to use the internet as a place to be proved right, or to be proved smart, or to prove that you know more than someone else, but you can meet someone at, a, at that conversation and go, I'm willing to listen. Whether we have the spaces online for that right now, I'm unsure, but I think the platforms will play a really big role in what the future of this conversation looks like. Thank you. I think it's a really wonderful place to, to, to end it with hope, but with a warning that, that it is, there are big challenges to it, um, and it's not an easy thing to do. I do, Alison, you, you mentioned of generations. I think it is sort of the unfortunate responsibility of every new generation to be better than the last. At the same time, I think it, it's demonstrative here that we can all play a role in bettering ourselves and understanding, coming to conversations, listening, finding common ground uh, with each other. But perhaps there is also that demand that these systems that we're using that in a sense use us need to be better. Um, but the, at the end of it, we can all agree in, on the, the underlying purpose, even if it's the term that does sometimes divide us. Um, thank you both, teams, so much for everything, uh, for tackling a difficult topic. Uh, I know when we asked you originally, there was some hesitation. We said, trust us. 
It'll be fun. Don't worry. Uh, and you proved us right. It was wonderful to listen to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have we checked Twitter if anyone got cancelled tonight? Did anyone get cancelled? Uh, we'll check the stats. Okay. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> can, I, can I just say, it's really hard to access the internet in this bunker, so you're going to have to wait 45 minutes to cancel anyone. <laughs> so, I tried. Um, <laughs> uh, and to the audience, thank you so much. Uh, this is the first of a series that we have planned. Tonight, as I mentioned, is an experiment. Um, we really want to see how do we have these conversations? And you know, we were asked, like, how do we have these conversations without itself becoming an exercise in hate? How do we not create more of what we're trying to combat? And so your participation, you're coming along and saying, yeah, we'd love to be part of this. It really, really means a lot. Um, one last thing that I would like to do is thank uh, the team for putting this on. Um, everybody just worked so hard to pull this together with not a lot of resources, not a lot of time, and it really was truly a huge effort. Uh, thank you again to the sponsors, uh, to the Thomas Dixon Center, and in particular, um, Vivian, if you could come up here, please. Come on. Um, Vivian... Vivian is our marketing specialist, essentially a marketing executive, to be, to be fair. Every day we say to her, there's something new we'd like you to tackle. Uh, this is now part of your job description. When we first said about the parlay, we're running this event, you, your eyes kind of fell out of your head, uh, and you were checking the tickets every day. Everything came together really well. This is your baby, as you said, and you've done an absolutely amazing job. Well done. Amazing, mate. Thank you again. This has been The Parlay. This has been The Pro and The Con teams. An incredible job, incredible audience. Have a fantastic night. Thank you for listening to The Parlay podcast. To register for future events, you can find the link in our show notes. You'll also be able to explore our research and hear people's stories about experiencing harm online. You can find us across all socials at sticks, stones, org.